You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. So last week, not last, the last time, uh, are we live? Okay, good. The last time we had a conversation on apologetics, we were trying to, we started by talking about how there are two primary ways to present this counter-defense for the Christian faith. We talked about how there are um, biblical proofs. Remember that? Um, we read from Acts chapter 18, verse 14, how um, Apollos went to preach somewhere, and then um, um, Sila and Aquila met, met him, heard him, and then from scriptures began to teach him more excellently um, the, the way of God, showing him that Jesus Christ was Jesus. Then I thought how we have extra biblical proofs. That is, proofs that are not in the Bible. And we talked about the, the method on how many times when we who do not have or do not share the same world view that we share, and so therefore do not hold the Bible in high esteem, then we must begin our apologetic efforts extra biblically and end up biblically. Does that make sense? So we must begin from proving um, from outside the Bible that there is a God and all of that before we now come into Scripture and we start to prove that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Messiah and therefore Jesus is God. All right, so we we talked about that, and then um, I said that in our in our next conversation, we're going to answer two questions: Does God exist? Exist, and how can we know that the Christian God is the true God? Alright, do you remember I said we're going to answer those two questions? Um, does God exist? And how can we know that the Christian God is the true God? So I, I, I want us so let's let's begin. We want to answer the question does God exist? And I think to, to begin answering that question, I believe that we would start from the definition of God. The definition of God. What, what does it mean for God to be God? What does it mean for God to be God? 
when we when we say when we say God, what are we referring to? In the normal Oxford dictionary, the word God refers to the creator of the universe and the source of all moral authority. That is the supreme being. The creator of the universe and the source of all moral authority. That is Now, if he is the creator, or if God, whether it's a he or a she or a he, if God is the creator of all the universe, then he must, it must, God must transcend everything, every quantity that exists in the universe. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. So let me just say that again. Um, I have anybody that didn't really get what I just said. If, if, if we define God as the creator of the universe, then God must transcend every known quantity and quality of the universe. If time is a quantity in this universe, we've agreed that time is a quantity in this universe, right? If time is a quantity in this universe and God created the universe, then God must transcend time. So, a few things can be guessed about this God. Number one, is timeless. All right? We're building systematic thought for the apologetic um, or the defense, logical defense of our faith. A few things can be discussed about this God. Number one, he is timeless. Because he, he was there at time t equals to zero. You understand? At time t equals zero. He was there before that. And so, he exists outside of the scope of time, making him or it or her timeless. Does that make sense? Now, all of the universe occupies a known space, surface area. Is that correct? That means the God that created the universe was not standing in that surface area at the time of creation, which means he is faceless. Which means he is spaceless. Does that make sense? So now, we have agreed that God is timeless. We've agreed that God is spaceless. Now, the third thing is, every material substance that exists in the known universe proceeded out of him or out of God 
which means he is immaterial. Immaterial, that is I-M-M-A-T-E-R-I-L, I-R-I-A-L. He is immaterial. What does that mean? It means that he doesn't have a physical form like any form that is known in the universe. So, he is immaterial. Are we together on that? Are we together on that? Good. So, he is immaterial. Then, finally, he is infinitely powerful because every force that exists in the universe comes from him. So he is infinitely powerful. He is more powerful than the push and pull forces. He is more powerful than the wear and tear forces. He is more powerful than the strain and stress forces. He is infinitely powerful. And every knowledge that exists in the known universe comes from him. So he is infinitely intelligent. So he's infinitely intelligent. Now, this is the definition of God. A timeless, spaceless, immaterial, infinitely, or a timeless, spaceless, immaterial being who is infinitely powerful and infinitely intelligent. This is God. Now, some people like to add morally excellent to this definition, and I think that that is shaky, because right now, we're taking a position of, we don't know anything about God. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't know anything about God, but we know that if this universe exists, and we are assuming that someone put it here, within this universe exists time. That means that person must be outside of time. Within this universe, this universe exists in a particular space. That means that person must be outside of space. This universe exists, within this universe exists physical substances. That means that person must be outside of those physical substances, making him immaterial. He must be infinitely powerful because... It's, it's from his power that we have the powers that exist in this universe. And he must be infinitely intelligent because every knowledge and every science that exists in the universe came from his mind. Make sense? Now, whether he's good or bad, we don't know. We will discuss that later. Are we together? Now, the first question that we will now have to answer is, why do we make an assumption for the existence of such a being? Why do we make an assumption for the existence of a timeless, spaceless, immaterial being who is infinitely powerful and infinitely intelligent? Why do we make that kind of assumption? 
And in apologetics, there are many debates, many routes to take. But for me, I think one of the most convincing routes and one of the quickest routes is what is known as intelligent design. All right? Intelligent design. So, one way we can prove the existence of God. Now, we haven't entered whether this God that exists is the Christian God. But one way we can prove the existence of God is through something called what? Intelligent design. And the principle of intelligent design is very simple. It states that anything that is intelligently designed needs an intelligent designer. Simple. Anything that is intelligently designed needs an intelligent designer. Does anyone have a hard copy Bible? For instance, this is an intelligently designed book. What does it mean for it to be intelligently designed? It means that when you look at it, are you with me? You can see in just looking at it that somebody's thoughtfulness gave birth to this. And it was designed with a purpose in mind. Do you understand that? And that was what, that's what makes it intelligently designed. Now, the truth is that there can be another book somewhere where... How many of you know what Lorem Ipsum is? Lorem Ipsum. So, um, if, you go to, if you go to all these sites where you want to generate text random text to fill up that, that the random gibberish that it generates is called lorem ipsum, right? So now, somebody can carry a book with a thousand pages and fill it with lorem ipsum. That is no, text, but nonsense. No coherence, no system of thought. It's just blah, 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 blah. Nonsense. Or you sit down at a computer and every morning you wake up, you open the computer, you open the same Microsoft Word document and then just start typing the keyboard randomly. You know when you just randomly just... For those of us that are designers, you must have named the design like that before. You just save it. You know, just because you want to move on. Just randomly, every morning, and you are filling up 200 pages it's just randomly typed nonsense on the document. Now, if that is printed, it is not intelligently designed. Because when you read through it, there is no thought or purpose that is being communicated. Are you with me? Are you with me? But if, for instance, you, you come across a document, and in the document, you have dots and dashes, Dot, dash, dot, 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 dash, dot, dash, dash, dot. Now, at first glance, you may think to yourself, oh, it's gibberish. And you remember there's something called Morse code. Is that correct? And this is how Morse code typically looks. 
So now, if you know Morse code, you will try to interpret the dots and dashes according to the rules of Morse code. And you interpret and, and you're like, oh, okay. This is actually a statement. There is intelligent design behind it. Now, whenever we happen upon intelligent design, we don't assume that the intelligent design just happened to appear. Does that make sense? If, if you wake up one day, it's Hamatan season now, you have a car, and what Hamatan does to cars is you wash your car in the night, you go to bed. By the time you wake up in the morning, it's very dusty like you didn't wash it the night before. And if you grew up a kid like me, um, when, you're pass <coughs> when, you're, when you're passing by a dusty vehicle, you do light graffiti, just please wash me. Then you draw a cat or you draw your face with tears. Please wash me on the windscreen of the car. So now you wake up in the morning and you go downstairs and you see that someone has written, please wash me with the graffiti and the cat and the tears at the back of the car. Do you automatically assume that, oh, this Hamatan wind, that there was dust, then as the Hamatan wind was blowing, it now blew in that fashion. So write PLS, wash me. Then it now blew again. It now blew in a fashion that the face was formed and then eyes were formed and then a smiley face with tears. Is that what you would assume? Listen, if, if, if there were a bunch of children living in your compound, and you called all of them, and you said, who wrote this on my vehicle? And they proceed to tell you this fantastic story of how they just woke up in the morning, and then there was a hamatan wind blowing, and then it was just written on the back of the car. Right? You may not have been upset before. <laughs> but when they are done with that foolish story, you will now feel upset because... Are you, are you, do I look like a child to you? Because we automatically assume that every intelligent design was made by an intelligent designer. Are you with me? So I, I took this Bible for a reason. So now I happen upon this Bible and then I read through it. And then she walks in and she sees me reading the Bible. And she's like, do you understand it? I'm like, where are you? Yeah, where did you get it? And she's like, hmm. The most amazing thing happened. So there was a printing press somewhere in Shomolu. And then we went to bed. And we heard this very loud noise. And then we woke up the next morning. And we entered the printing press. And everywhere was scattered. But floating in, in the middle of the printing press was this book. Nobody typed it out. Nobody wrote this out. It was just floating right there. So intelligently designed, neatly bound together, its story going from one part to another. Now, as a Christian who is charismatic, you may be tempted to think, hmm, a miracle has happened. But as a person who went to school and understands the rules of logic, you will say you are lying. 
Or somebody is putting on a wristwatch. Thank you. And then you're like, your wristwatch is very nice. It's like, I can tell, let me tell you about my watch. So I was sleeping one day and then all of a sudden, I just heard a commotion in my wardrobe. And I opened the wardrobe and I saw that the leather from my belt and then some metal parts from my buttons and, um, you know, things in my wardrobe came together and I opened it and I just saw this thing. So I wore it on my hand and I realized that it was telling the time exactly accurately the way it is told outside. Now, if you are like me, you would say, wow, that's so cool. And then you will promise yourself that I will never believe anything this person says in his life again. Because this person is a liar. Point is, every intelligent design requires an intelligent designer. So, do we think that the world we live in is intelligently designed? Can we look through nature and see purpose in the design of things? The fact that we breathe in oxygen and exhale what? Only one person answered. Exhale what? And exhale carbon dioxide. But plants that we find around us, breathe in what? And exhale what? That's called intelligent design. We live in a symbiosis. What I exhale is what you inhale. What you inhale is what I exhale. Sorry, what you exhale rather is what I inhale. And so we need each other. We've been designed to coexist. If all the plants were taken away from the world, it won't take long before humans follow. Are you with me? It won't take long before humans follow. So, if the world is so intelligently designed, then it only makes sense for us to argue for the existence of an intelligent designer. Let me, I, I want to Google something for you guys. I, I don't have this figure in my head. All right. Yeah, that's it. So, for instance, how many kilometers make a mile? Does anybody know? Can you Google it at least? One point six three. Okay, one point six zero nine kilometers make a mile. All right. So, if you say a vehicle is moving at thirty kilometers per hour, right? That means that vehicle is moving at roughly about what thirty kilometers. It's 18.6 miles. But that's not correct. It should be closer to 60. Not divided by. 
But, but this is the point I'm trying to make. The world is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. That is right now, as me and you are sitting here, the world's speed at which it was spinning is 1,000 miles per hour. To put it in perspective, um, so I randomly watch YouTube channels that talk about boring things. And one of the YouTube channels I was watching, the guy was saying, what would happen if the world suddenly stopped spinning? And this was the result. Anything that is not firmly bolted to the floor will fly about 200 miles forward. Think of it like this. You're driving a car really fast, right? Um, how many of you drive? Raise your hand if you drive. Above your head. Okay. What's the fastest you've ever driven? What's the fastest you've ever driven? 80 or 100. What's the fastest you've ever driven? Or you just started driving? Okay. But 80... So, typically, eh, when you, how many of you have traveled by road before? You see how fast your drivers go. They usually don't go beyond 120 kilometers per hour. Right? They usually don't go beyond... 120 kilometers per hour. Now, imagine if a car is moving at 120 kilometers per hour and then the driver just abruptly matches the brake. You know that everybody that is inside that car will live through the windscreen. Will exit the vehicle through the windscreen and fly far forward. Is that correct? Good. Now, the world is moving at roughly between 600 and 700 kilometers per hour. That is every time that we are in the world. That's the speed that the world is turning at. If someone with super strength, maybe God just put his hand and stopped the world from turning for like a second, and then the world came to an abrupt stop, you would fly from where you are, you would fly forward at such a high speed. First of all, um, I think it's relative velocity. So you will fly at the speed that the world was moving. So you would fly forward at a thousand miles per hour, about 600 kilometers per hour. If you don't know what that means, it means that you will fly forward at such a speed that if you hit a brick wall, you will break it. You are like a bullet that was launched. You will fly forward that fast about 200 miles forward. 200 miles forward would be like from here to Maryland. Or even further. That's how fast the world is turning. And we're just sitting down. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of understanding. See, it takes a lot of faith. When you understand science, it takes a lot of faith to not believe in God. Like, you have to actually have faith in something else and be dogmatic about that faith that as a, as a person who understands science, he will say God doesn't exist. Let me, put it, let me give you another illustration. The world, the earth, is, is our position in the solar system 
is something known as the Goldilocks zone. What does that mean? It means there are nine planets, right? There are two before the Earth. Is that correct? Which two? No, Mercury and Venus. Mercury and Venus. So it's Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Saturn and then um, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. Good. So um, the Earth is just after Venus. Now, Venus as a planet is not habitable. Do you know why? Because it is so close to the sun that every breathable gas has evaporated and all that is left on the planet is poisonous gas. That, what, what am I saying? If you fly a rocket ship into Venus, the gases in the atmosphere would corrode the metal of the rocket ship in less than a day. Let alone a human being stepping, <laughs> you will die this fast. It can't carry life. Are you with me? Mars, that is the next planet after Earth from the sun. Venus is the planet before Earth from the sun. Is that correct? Mars is the next planet after Earth from the sun. Mars has some livable qualities. But because of its distance from the sun, it is not practical to live on Mars. Why? Because when it is cold... It is extremely cold. We're talking about freezing temperatures. And when it is hot, it is extremely hot. Because of how far away it is from the sun, any part of it that is receiving the sunlight is receiving it so much. So at every point in time, Mars is consistently divided into two. Extreme heat and extreme cold. In the places that have extreme heat, water will evaporate. In the, that is, their oceans boil and evaporate. And in the places that have extreme cold, the oceans freeze over. But Earth is in the right position where it is not too far from the sun that the oceans freeze over, and it is not too close to the sun that the oceans evaporate. It is just in the right position. And if you moved Earth, I, I can't remember this perfectly, but I think if you moved Earth a mile to either side, we will be too close or too far. Now, a mile might seem like it's a lot until you realize that you are talking about in space. That is, compared to how vast space is, a mile is literally moving the Earth from here to here or like that. Literally, that's what it feels like. Talk about intelligent design. All right. Why am I taking my time to say all of this? Because we're learning apologetics. And we have to first answer the question of, why do we think that there has to be a God? Because when you look at everything that has been so perfectly designed, you have to come to one conclusion. There was a designer. Someone who put all of this in place to look this good. Um, a, a Christian apolog apologist that I listen to discusses it in this way. 
he always says that when an atheist says, how can you have faith in God? He always asks, which is easier to believe? That this rock that is flying through space at a thousand miles per hour, kept by the gravitational pull of both the sun and the moon, and can contain life, which is easier to believe, that it was put here by somebody, or it just happened to be there? Which is easier? Like, it is easier to be a Christian than it is to be an atheist. That to believe that all of this exists for no reason. Let's not even begin to talk about the human mind and the human being himself and how he, how we are made up. What we are made up of. There is intelligent design in all of the universe, the known universe that we can see. And that intelligent design points to the existence of an intelligent designer. And whilst science may uncover various aspects of the design. Um, I think it was Dr. Ravi Zacharias that I heard say that science will answer how the earth works. Science will answer what the earth is. But science will answer all the hows and the whats. But the one question that science cannot answer is the why. Is the why. Are you with me? It only takes the designer to answer the why. And this is why we may have all the answers as to what hormones trigger happiness, what hormones trigger sadness, what hormones trigger this, and how to stimulate those hormones. Are you with me? But in the end, at the end of all the conversations, when it boils down to what it is, every human being will face an existential crisis. And that existential crisis will be centered around why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? Because meaning for any intelligent design is found only in its designer. If someone makes a chair and we've never seen a chair before. There has never been a concept like sitting down before. And someone thinks up the concept and makes a chair. And you've never seen it before. You will look at it and you will be able to describe, oh, it is made of wood. It, ha it has four legs. It has some sort of elevated part to it. Right? But what is it for? You won't be able to answer that question. Why? Because you're not the one that made it. When the one who created it comes and says, oh, I, I made this for us to rest. Now, because the concept has never been um, seen before, people won't understand what he's saying. Then he goes ahead to show what he means. And then people try it and they're like, Oh, that's nice. That is what a chair is for. We may analyze, science may analyze all the laws 
the gravitational constants, I mean, analyze laws of friction, laws of buoyancy, and all the physics laws, all the chemistry principles, all the biology principles. Science may be able to analyze all of those, but in the end, all the analysis will only lead us to what and how, but never why. So, number one proof for the existence of God is that this world was intelligently designed. You and I were intelligently designed. Are you with me? And because we were intelligently designed, there must be an intelligent designer. Are we together? Are we together? All right. It was, it was Steve Hawking. You know Stephen Hawking? It was Steve Hawking that said that the actual point of creation lies outside, of the, outside the scope of presently known laws of physics. Because how many of you did physics in secondary school? Raise your hand if you did. When you started physics, SS1, the first class, they made you draw a table of constants and the units of measure of those constants. There was light, there was distance, there was time, there was speed, and all of those constants that they listed. Is that correct? Good. Now, all of those constants, if you are going to trace using the laws of physics, every law of physics operates inside one of those constants. Time, light, distance, intensity, all of those things. Good. But if we are trying to use physics to trace the origin of the world, we will use laws that exist within the world. And so, therefore, we will never be able to get back to a time where the world did not exist. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? And so, I think, I think I'll stop here because I want to enter another part, but I don't think I'll have enough time to finish that. And so, the, the first principle, the first argument that as a Christian, you can put up for your faith, why you believe that there is a God. We've not even started talking about whether the God is Jesus Christ or Buddha or Muhammad or Allah or any of the gods that people or Zeus or... Artemis, you know, why do we believe in a creator? Because, number one, there is a creation that was intelligently designed and every intelligently designed being must have an intelligent designer. Another thing you can say, another, so number two now, under apologetics is objective morality. Objective morality. Objective mor are you with me? Objective morality.
let's play a game. Hmm? Or how many of you remember when you used to play those games in, in primary school? Games like choose your best friend, where you say you like. How many of you played that game in primary school? So you want to you want to form. You want to form that you didn't play that game. Or or um Sue. Or um Tico Tico. In all of these games, there is a common law that guides the way the game must be played. Is that correct? And that common law is formed and agreed upon by all the individuals within that game. And if um, there is anybody who is not inside that game, that common law does not apply to them. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? If I'm playing... How many of you played standstill in primary school? Where if your fingers are not crossed and someone says, stand still, they've caught you. You have to stand still until they say, I release you. Remember that? Until they say, I release you. So, now, you may be playing, so for instance, she may be playing with him, playing the game of stand still with him. And the laws of stand still will only apply to the two of them because they've agreed that it works. If he is passing by and you just randomly say, hey, stand still, he's going to look at you like, who are you? Is that correct? Because that law is only subject or is subjective with respect to the people who have agreed on it. So there is something called subjective moral reasoning and there is objective moral reasoning. There's subjective moral law and objective moral law. And I'll, I, 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 I'm looking for the best way to explain this to you so I don't confuse you. In societies, there's something, or, or let me say this, you know that something can be immoral and be ethical. You know that, right? And some things can be Moral, but not ethical. You know that, right? Is anybody confused? Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.